you turn with your Bible with me, please, to the book of James? We're going to look at James chapter 5 today. James chapter 5. What a great God we serve. We've been going through the book of James here recently and just slowly making our way through it, basically, which has been excellent. Um, you may not have even no fully noticed that that was what was happening, but that was what was happening. And we've been looking at some of the major themes of the book of James and what the Lord has shown us through the book and how we're to live. James is an interesting book because it's written specifically to Jews, and it's written specifically with the idea of taking action with faith. So it's not just a book about understanding things. Sometimes we get uh, we can get lost in doctrines. We get lost in trying to understand theological things and uh, instead of actually getting to the work that God has called us to. James is an interesting book because it calls us to action. It calls us to do something for God. And so it's an exciting book to read. Uh, it's also one of the books that you read and you're like, yeah, I should be doing those things. Today, as we look at the James chapter 5, we're going to read it together. We're going to see that uh, this very practical book gives us a lot of wisdom about normal life. So let's read together James chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible in front of you, here it is up on the board. This is what James chapter 5, verse 7 says. Let's read. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against another, one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Praise the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are with us. And thank you, Lord, that you gave us your word, that we would know you. Lord, that we'd be able to live our lives with you and, and for you. Lord, I pray that you would cause the word to deposit richly and deeply into us that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only, Lord, that we would be those who are steadfast in our faith with you, but our action as well, because we live out all that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, what do you, as you read this verse, some of you English teachers, is there anything weird about it? It's what's that? A lot of interjections, yes. What, what specifically... The word behold is in there. So behold, you know that word lo, by the way, lo and behold? Lo is actually the Hebrew behold. When you say lo and behold, you're saying it twice in two different languages. Anyway, moving on. So this, it's a lot of actions, isn't it, of things to do. When you read this, like me, do you suddenly get to the end and it's like suddenly we've switched to a new letter all of a sudden? Because we're hearing about all this stuff, remembering the steadfastness of Job, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, and then we get to, above all, don't swear by anything. Just let your yes be yes or no be no. You feel, doesn't that feel like kind of a harsh transition? That's a little weird, isn't it? We're 
going to talk about why that is and what James is accomplishing. But one of the things I want to tell you as you look at the book of James, uh, throughout the whole book, specifically chapters 3, 4, 5, is that James is a good Hebrew student. And so he's actually mirroring parts of Leviticus chapter 19. So Leviticus chapter 19 has different proclamations and things that you're supposed to do in the law. And James is taking those same things and he's talking about them. So when a Hebrew reader reads this and then gets to the part about not swearing about anything, uh, this is reflective of Leviticus 19. And so there, the, the transition isn't so harsh for people who understand the context. With that in mind, here's the context of what's happening in this book, and particularly chapter 5. The book, as we said before, is written to Jews, people who know the Bible, and specifically I mean the Old Testament. They're familiar with it, they know it, they've studied it, uh, it's in their minds, it's important to them. And so when the book of James is speaking to us, it's speaking with a whole background of information, not just devoid of any facts. That's important. Also, it describes how we're supposed to live in light of God's people. There's a couple specific things that the book keeps coming to over and over. The first one, which I'm summarizing, love Jesus, love people, is called the royal commandment, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And over and over, this theme comes back of how do you live out your faith. It looks like loving God, and then through that, we love people to demonstrate what it looks like to actually be God's people. Over and over, James comes to this. The second one is he talks about uh, different people in different areas. And specifically with chapter 5, he's talking about rich people right at the beginning who should ensure that they treat others with godly kindness. And so he's saying, you rich people, it's important that you make sure to not withhold wages, uh, don't oppress anybody else who might be of a lower class. Now think for a moment, uh, if we lived in Roman times, there's no Walmart. Uh, Lisa and I just had a discussion the other night about an article she read of somebody who was uh, commissioned to crochet a, a big blanket for somebody. And she said, the price is going to be $400. And the guy was really upset. He says, I can go to Walmart and buy a blanket for 15 bucks. Why is this so expensive? And she said, listen, it's $400. The, all the stuff alone is $160 just for the thread that you wanted. Because he wanted a wool blanket and he wanted it to really nice. Think for a moment, if we live in Roman times, you can't just go to Walmart and buy stuff. You can go to Walmart and buy things that make you look like a rich person. Right? The knockoff Rolex. The gold ring that's plated gold, right? The clothes that look fancy. <clears throat> anyway, you can get that stuff though. That doesn't, it's not around in this time. So there's a big distinction between somebody who has a gold ring on their hand in this time period and people who could never afford that. It's like somebody who drives a Lamborghini. You know, the, you know immediately like, wow, that's, that's a different, I don't even understand that strata of, of the economy. And that kind of thing is, is there. So when James is talking to rich people, he's talking to everybody, understand, because he's talking about common human things. But specifically, he's also talking to employers. He's talking to those who are in political power and things like that. And then he goes right from there to say, poor people, but everybody should not be grumbling. Now, this context is important because he uses the word therefore in the passage that we just read. And he's talking about patience in light of sufferings. Some of those sufferings look like unfair uh, employers who are not who are withholding wages and things like that. So somebody works all day and they come to get their paycheck and they're like, I'll pay you next week. 
And so the guy with the Lamborghini, they're like, you have a Lamborghini, you're fine. I, I, need, I need that money now. And see, that's what he's saying is, in light of all these sufferings, <clears throat> understand what God is doing. What would be some other sufferings of this time period? Yeah, there's all kind of stuff, health things, very true, all kind of things. Also, if you're, he's writing to Jewish people, if you're a Jewish people in a Roman-controlled area, you are, you're segmented in a certain way, right? So then when it's basically militarily controlled, so if a centurion comes up to you, one of the Roman officials who has military power, and says, carry this stuff, you're going to carry that stuff feel like a second-class citizen because you are. That's not so fun. So there's sufferings that are happening. There's also persecution that's happening against the church, things that are that are coming against the people. Um, also, could you imagine being the very first Christian, maybe you are, in your family ever, very first Christian, and your family's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? We're, especially this context, we're Jews. We've never walked this way. What are you doing? There's a lot of conflict there. So these sufferings, there's a lot of things. As James is talking, he says here, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit. He's waiting for the early and the spring rains. Um, have you ever grown a garden? We've got a couple gardeners here. I'm not very great at it, uh, but I've grown some things. You know, one of the things I notice is it takes a long time. It's not McDonald's. Now, you go through seed in the ground. Have you ever watched a kid try to garden? Man, they straight expect that seed to form into a tree overnight. It's going to be a tree. It doesn't happen that way, does it? But specifically, think about the patience of a farmer in Palestine. This is what it looks like. You know, it, it looks like a desert because it kind of it's an arid place. So for a farmer in Palestine who's waiting for those early and those late rains, understand this is not just like rain like we get where it rains a lot, and the river's high, and things are happening, and there's sort of water all the time. And even if it's drought conditions, you still turn on the faucet and it works somehow. In this time, that's what it looks like. So if you're waiting for those rains, you're waiting for your nourishment with eager anticipation that those rains are going to come. That's different. That's a different kind of patience, isn't it? Because you plant the seed, and you can't make it grow you got to trust God that he's going to water it. And he does water it. You know, in certain areas in the mountains here, the way that crops are watered is basically by the wind at night pushing the dew of the morning on the backside of rocks. So as the wind whips through because it's dry, it, the dew collects on the backside of rocks. And so the crops basically grow in little spots along the, the mountainside. And that's the crop. That's the that's the whole harvest. That's everything. And it's so funny because when we think about having patience like a farmer, we think about, okay, there's a suffering time. Things are happening. God's going to bless me. It's going to be like a deluge of judgment on those bad guys, and I'm going to get all this blessing. And, man, I'm going to have these wonderful harvests of all this great stuff God will give me. And we think of, like, Ireland hillsides, you know, and it's just green and or the giant cornfields you see as you're driving through Iowa or, or Illinois or wherever. And it's not the context for the people understanding this is not exactly that. It's more have patience, trusting God will be faithful to his word. 
what's really interesting here is having patience like a farmer does not mean anxiety. Now, there is anxiety, don't get me wrong. You're going to be anxious, especially if the rains are coming at a weird time or something's funny or the weather looks weird. You are dependent on those rains. So it doesn't mean don't ever have anxiety, but it means that having patience in God doesn't mean that you're all the time coming with him, coming to him with the crisis cry all the time. It means that you wait patiently, trusting in what he says. Um, I don't know if you ever have ever tried to get a three-year-old and a three-month-old and an eight-year-old girl ready for church in the morning. Man, it's crisis. It's crisis. Just nothing to wear. Nothing fits anymore because they're trying to wear 4T clothes and they don't wear those anymore or whatever. Or your three-month-old is wearing nine-month clothes now and you got to find those in storage somehow. It's happening. Praise the Lord. But boy, it's funny to me how my kids, and maybe your kids are different, when something goes bad, they immediately go to this like extreme, like the wailing cry of, I can't find socks. The earth is crumbling. There are no socks, and these socks do not fit, and they're the wrong Paw Patrol guys. And just everything is wrong. And it's, man, it's elevated to just, you would think the house is on fire or that they've lost their life savings or, you know, something is so wrong that just their legacy is gone because they cannot find the Paw Patrol socks. And it's funny how, as the children of God, sometimes we come to him with that same anxiety of, Lord, it's just everything is wrong. And you know what? Sometimes it is wrong. Sometimes it's okay to come to God like that. But not for everything. How do we wait patiently for God? We know he's going to bring the rains. We know he will grow the crops. We know he will sustain us. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about the work we're doing for him. I'm talking about the legacy of our families. I'm talking about discipleship and sons and daughters and the faith and growing up in God's way and seeing the word do what he said it would do. And we say, Lord, why is it taking so long? You said that you would grow these good things. You said that. And it's been two days and it has not happened. Or two years or two months or 20 years. And here's the problem. The Lord says, I will bring the rains. Just have patience. And that's what James is saying to a people who are literally being oppressed. Who are literally carrying bags saying, Lord, the centurion told me to do this. When will you elevate us? When will you help us? When will you? And he says, be a servant like Jesus. I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's different. It's different than our expectation a lot. Have patience like a farmer. James goes on to tell us that we should establish our hearts. I love that phrase. Isn't that a great phrase? Establish your hearts. What does it look like to establish your hearts? One of the things I want to tell you today is this. The Lord gave us his word that we would be established in him. The word is, is the seed. You know how you say, like, oh, I'm planting seeds, or somebody planted a seed somewhere? Usually we use that a lot in sales, don't we? Planted a seed. What do we mean by that? They're going to think about it, maybe it'll grow to fruition, and there'll be a time when I can take that fruit. Right? I'll make that sale. Well, when the Bible talks about these things, it's more like establishing a root inside of us. That God implants his word in us that grows up into a tree of righteousness that you would produce fruit because you are changed by his word. That's what God does. He establishes his word in us and his, himself in us. 
The Bible tells us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation in him. The old is gone, the new has come. You're not the same as you used to be. That means that the fruit that you produce is different than what you used to produce. And so in God, something has happened to us. What has happened to us? It's like a marriage relationship. God has taken us to himself. He has put a ring on our finger. No Beyonce song, Roy, it's okay. He put a ring on our finger. He called us to himself. And he gave us now himself. How did he do that? He came down as a man and took our punishment upon himself that we would be called his, that we would be given his righteousness. But then he made us a new creation that we would be able to actually reflect him and do what he calls us to do and that he would indwell us now as his temple. Remember, Paul's, or, uh, James is writing this to Jewish people who understood what it looks like for God to be dwelling with them. And now in a new and great way, he is not just dwelling with us, but he has called us to be his own people that we would reflect him. This is incredible. It means he called us, he purchased us, he cleanses us, and he keeps us. When we say establish your hearts, understand, our idea of that is often I'm going to root myself deeper into his word. I'm going to come to him, I'm going to root myself into it, and then when I get deep enough into him, I'll have revelation and God will use me and it will be awesome and things are going to be great and my life will be awesome. And I'm really working on myself. But the reality of what James is telling us is that God has established already in us his word, that he has rooted into us, and that we establish our hearts now on the foundation of what Christ has done and who he is and his calling. And instead of us trying to root deeper into him, which we should do, we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Yes, of course. But we do it with the realization that he is the one who has established us on the foundation of himself, his own word, and we grow up bearing fruit for him because of what he has done. That's really different. It's really different because you can try all day to read all the self-help books, and they might help you. That'd be great. You can read all the Bible study books, and they might help you, and that'd be great. But unless you can root into him, unless you feel him growing, unless you see him doing it, boy, it goes away fast, doesn't it? It's like a diet. We're on three weeks now of this new diet, new lifestyle shift, excuse me. And we're, it's, listen, we're just trying not to eat as much sugar because I realized, Lisa realized and helped me see because she's faithful. We'd, we'd wake up in the morning and have a special treat with the kids on Saturday morning, have donuts. We'd take them to our, the soccer game, right? So we have two boys playing soccer. We'd go to one soccer game and they'd give out cookies at the end because it's somebody's birthday. We go to the other soccer game, and they would give out um, some, like, popsicles at the end. And so now we've had donuts, we've had cookies, we've had popsicles, and then we finish the day with pizza because it's Saturday. That's a great thing to do. And then at the end of the day, the kids are like, where's the ice cream? It's a special day. We just had pizza. That means ice cream. Where's the ice cream? And like, kids, we've had sweets all day. We don't need ice cream right now. And I'm telling you right now, the world has duped us as Christians. You need sweets all day. You need sweets that make you feel better all day. This is not enough. You need stuff all day that's going to entertain you. You need fruit that bears in two minutes. You need to see it. If you can't see it, don't believe it. All day, we start craving for and looking for the fruit, the sweet stuff, the popsicles. Oh, if I can just feel God tell me he loves me. 
And what did he do? He sent his son for those who did not love him. What is real love? That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we forget the root, the establishment of the word in us. That instead of craving the popsicles, we can say, Lord, I see the nourishment you have given me. It's you. It's yourself. I'm coming to you instead of I'm coming to the good feelings. Because we've all been there where we go, uh, here. And we're reading it looking for something to make us feel better. Instead of seeking him. I want to know you, God. See the difference? I'm going to tell you right now, none of us, myself included, are good at this. Perfect at it. Nobody. Everybody has moments good and bad. But from the word of God, we cannot be duped into eating fast food and sugar all the time. Instead of coming to him. We need Jesus. Uh, Roy, can you play our the video with the kids, please? Archer, Archer, hi. These are kids hearing uh, for the very uh, first time. Uh oh, hi. Oh hi, Archer. Archer, there's Lincoln hi. next to you. Hi, Archer. Hi, buddy. Mm -hmm. I love you. now. <laughs> I don't know what I hear. Can you hear something? Good job. Yeah, say something, man. Audrey. Look at that. Hey. Snap it on, right there. Make sure it's on all the way so it doesn't fall off. Okay. All right, we're gonna put this on. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Right. Ready? Hold on to your teddy there. Your teddy has one too. Look. Teddy's got one too. Look, your teddy got one. Look, look, pink boo. Look your teddy. Can you show me your eyes? Where's your eyes? It's right here. It's right here. You got it. Can you show me your mouth? Where's your um, mouth? Um, I can't hear you. She's talking lower. I'm sorry. No. She hears her voice. It's okay, Mama. It's okay, Mama. Can you hear your voice when you talk? Can you hear yourself? Mm -hmm. What's your name? It's my daddy. It's your teddy. What's your name? Anna. You don't know? Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear? Oh my god.
great? Man, that's so great. Do you remember the first time you heard God call you? Do you remember? Do you remember what it felt like? You know, we take a lot of time to try to recreate that feeling. Because it's beautiful and it's awesome and it's good. And God has established in your hearts his own word that he has pulled you to himself. He keeps you, he cleanses you, that you would know him. Isn't that good? The deepening of the love of God in us. Stop trying to go back to the first moments. Instead, let them grow into all the good things that are ahead. Patience like a farmer with an established heart, seeing what God is doing. He's already made you to hear his word. Keep hearing it. Keep moving in him and see what God does. James goes on to tell us that we should be steadfast, that we should represent the Lord in his faithfulness. He talks about the prophet Job. It's really interesting that he uses Job because if you know the story of Job, Job had a rough go. It did not go well for Job. And Job uh, is commonly seen as wisdom literature, and it's often, uh, he's not often referred to as a prophet, uh, but he was a prophet in the sense that he spoke of the truth. He held to the truth of who God was, and he was faithful to speak what God said. And so here's the prophet Job, who is demonstrating God's rule by his life. And Job had everything taken away from him and still doesn't curse God. And all the temptation is there that he should walk away from his faith, basically, and he should let God have it. And what we find out in this is that being steadfast does not mean that blessing and monetary things often come to us. That's not what being steadfast means. What being steadfast means is that we hold to God and his word, and we are faithful to speak it in all circumstances, good or bad. That's what Job tells us. Without going to this, that would be a whole nother... We could be here weeks if we go through all that stuff. What does it look like to be steadfast in your life? Having heard the word of God, knowing the scripture, seeing what Christ has done, it's so easy to give into the temptation of bad attitudes that spring up, of things that we see or media that we see that influences us, of the way the world thinks that we are totally contrary to. Just contrary to it. I'll give you an example. Um, when I was, I used to be in the military a long time ago, and uh, all my stories are from the military because they're exciting. This one's not as exciting. But I had a friend, his name was Rivera. He was a lieutenant with me. We were lieutenants together. And uh, Rivera had a proclivity to getting in trouble <laughs> all the time for dumb stuff. Uh, but he was my friend, and we were peers, and so we were going to work together. And so we had a little pact where if Rivera forgot his hat, which is ridiculous, why would he forget his hat? But if he forgot his hat, I would leave mine in my office. And so we just get chewed out together all the time, all the time, because we were for one another. The knock-on effect of that was, instead of rivalry between the guys that worked for me and the guys that worked for him, we would do anything for each other, anything, because that's what our unit would do. And so that's what we were tasked with, that's what we were about. Well, we got another uh, platoon leader in who was a, another lieutenant, one of our peers, who uh, was not the same, and decided that that uh, this particular person would use every opportunity to make us look bad so they could look good. And uh, it didn't go so great. It didn't go so great. And eventually, that particular person had a nervous breakdown, right, and was left without the, she, she had to go away, and it was a big deal. And uh, we both ended up kind of caring for her people. But the people knew what we were like. 
How do you think that affected the company? A lot. It was different. It was a different company in spite of bad things. Now you're at work. You're at school. You're at the gas station. You're wherever. Something happens and somebody does something really dumb. And the world jumps on that opportunity to vilify that person so they look better. Right? <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you see the email they sent out? Can you believe the picture they put in there? Ha, they're never going to recover. They're never going to Let's send it to everybody. Everybody needs to see this picture. And suddenly, and that's what happens all the time. Why does that happen? It happens because that's how the world operates. Instead of covenant love for another person, to uphold other people, to love them like Jesus loves them, because we love Jesus and we love people. We love him with all our soul, all our strength, all our might, all our mind, all our everything. And then we come to this person, and instead of vilifying them or hurting them or trying to step on them to get higher, we love them like ourselves because we love him. And see, now it's different, and your life is different. And being steadfast does not just mean I come to church every Sunday, which come to church every Sunday at 1030. It would be really great. Come to church every Sunday. You should do that because it will grow and you will build. It doesn't just look like that. It looks like living out and walking every day because I love him and because of his word, I do these things. And it's different than, than what the world says. That's important. Can we have our second video, please, Roy? Uh, before you play it, here's a little video. It's a music video. We've been doing music videos lately. It's going to be okay. And uh, just watch it and listen to the words, because I'm going to ask you at the end, what is this about?
Cause I know that it's delicate Is it cool that I said all that? Is it too soon to do this yet? Cause I know that it's delicate She's in the public eye, but she's invisible. The real person who she is is invisible. Um, when she just embraces herself, she finds a bunch of freedom, and then she becomes visible again in this relationship. This relationship is giving for her this fulfillment. Um, but she's afraid, because it's delicate, I guess it's early in the relationship or something, to say all these things, right? My reputation's at its worst, so you must really like me for me. That's a lie, ladies. It's not true. Guys don't care a lot about your reputation. So don't let yourself go down that, way, that road. Um, you must really like me for me. So she's saying all these things. And then she says, I know we can't make any promises. What do you think she's referring to? She's referring to the world believes they can't promise love. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what will happen in the world. You don't know what will happen in your life. You don't know what will occur. For today, I really like you. You make me feel free. You make me feel like myself. You make me feel visible. I really like this relationship. I like what I'm getting out of it. I can't make any promises. That's not true. It's not true. And it's everywhere. This song is everywhere on the radio. If you haven't heard it before, good for you. It's, it's all over the place. A lot of people are listening to it, believing it. Um, one of the things that people like about this particular artist, her name is Taylor Swift, is that she's a goof. She's not a dancer. She's a goofball, right? Because she's just sort of being herself, and she's pretty, you know, generally modest. Generally, some of her other stuff is different, but um, there's a lot of ladies out there doing crazy things, and so they're like, oh, don't let the girls listen to that. They're letting the girls listen to this one because they're like, oh, you know, she's better. But the message behind it is the same stuff that it's in the world everywhere can't make any promises. Here's the problem with that. The Lord has given us a promise. He gave us himself. He showed us what real love looks like. He showed us what it looks like to know him, to serve him, to be in his presence, because he sent his son who would die for us, who would conquer sin and death through the resurrection, and who would bring us into himself. It is a promise. The promise is 
God will do all he said. And for the people here who are feeling this suffering, some rich people, some poor people of every economic class all over the place, they are literally suffering. And their only thing they can hold on to is the promise of the word of God that he really did what he said he did. And he really will do what he said he really will do. And that someday there really will be a table set before us that we can come to and say, Lord, thank you for the victory in Jesus. Thank you for the restoration of making me an image bearer again. Thank you, Lord, for calling me to you. <clears throat> There's real love. That's what real love looks like. It is a promise. And the world cannot see it. And so now for us, those who are going to be steadfast, who are going to hold to the word of God, who are going to remember, we have to wait patiently for the Lord, knowing that his promises are true, knowing that his love really is enough, that he really is enough, and that he has established in our hearts his word, that we can come to him not just to feel better. And you know what? It's great to feel better. He does that for us. He does do that for us. But instead to cling on to him himself, that we would grow in him and know him and serve him and put action to our faith, like James tells us to. And in that, being steadfast in our faith, all those other benefits come. Our speech has to reflect him because this is the message. There are no promises. Is the message that the world is spreading everywhere. Everywhere. And there has to be a stark difference between those of us who know what real love looks like and proclaim about it and the world who has no idea and propagates that it's just for the moment. It has to be different. Perhaps in your own life, you have let the lie of thinking that this kind of love that is portrayed to us through Taylor Swift is the reality. Like David said, we know he's good all the time, but sometimes we're waiting for that but clause. But I'm still waiting for this. But he didn't really make good on these things. But... And I'm telling you from the word of God, today is the day. Root yourself in the scripture. Be steadfast in your love for Jesus, knowing that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that through him you will find all the grace, all the peace, all the joy, all the love, all the emotion, all the fulfillment, all the wholeness that you can possibly find because he is the answer. He is the answer. Why is this such a big deal? It's such a big deal because... It is in stark difference to what the world says. And we are discipled every day, every day by the radio, every day by the television, every day by what's out there. But don't let the lie take root. Instead, establish yourself on the word to let the love of Jesus come out of you. Amen? What does that look like practically? It looks like come to Jesus, strengthen yourself in the word, do something about it. If you have no idea what to do, Start with a little penny drive for some people who need, who need food. Start with coming to church. If you are well established and you know what's going on, go tell your neighbor about Jesus. And be bold about it. If you're super, super established, come talk to me and we'll, do, we'll figure something else out. The Lord is with us. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you have established your word inside of us because, Lord, you are inside of us. Father, we confess to you, Lord, that sometimes in our minds, we try to blend what the world thinks and what you've said. Forgive us, God, for trying to think of love and trying to think of things, our circumstances, whatever, the way the world tells us to instead of what your word says. 
Help us to be a people who are steadfast, who are set on you, who are dedicated to your word, who know you and are built up by Jesus himself and not by just great emotions. Lord, I pray anybody who's here who's struggling, who's feeling the suffering of the world in any way, God, anybody who's here who's depressed, anybody here who is sick, anybody who is mourning, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that you will fill them, God, that you will bring restoration and grace, Lord, peace and joy where there hasn't been for a long time. But Father, I pray that that would happen in the revelation of Jesus Christ so that we continue to grow and we don't just move moment to moment in emotions. Father, help us, God, to be truly a people of joy because of what you've done for us eternally. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next week. Ladies, don't forget about Friday. It's going to be worth your time. God bless you all.